God, you are so holy. I'm so thankful, Lord, for, for moments of worship that are healing. God, I'm so thankful for moments of worship that are all-encompassing. Are there people in this room today that just need to lay down some worry and some fear and some doubt and some struggle and some questions? And they just need to be in your presence. And God, that's what we've been, been in your presence. God, that's all we need is to stay in your presence. I don't want to just rush away from this beautiful time. I don't want to rush away from your spirit that has been so present with us today and will continue to be in this time of your word. God, heal hearts. Draw people by your spirit. And help us to trust you and know you more in this time by your grace. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Uh, sorry. I cry a lot. And maybe you noticed that if you noticed that or not. Uh, it's not really a talent. I mean, it's. You know. I'm so glad you're with us today. God is so good. So good. Thank you, team. Uh, Kim and Daryl and all those that led for us this morning. Sean, Justin, Jessica, and the rest of the team. You guys are awesome. So appreciate them. Well, good morning. Sorry, I'm trying to compose here. We're glad you're with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, last week was an awesome week with Sean and Jenny Richards. Remember them being here with us? It was a great week for them to share their ministry and mission on the island of Manam. Uh, Manam, I always get it wrong. Manam uh, in uh, Papua New Guinea. It was great to hear what God is doing in them. And I'll be honest with you, I really believe in this couple. I've gotten to know them. Lori and I both spent time with them individually, together. And, uh, man, they love the Lord, and God is using them tremendously. It's such a beautiful thing to see God begin to move and, and use people. They're, they're translating the New Testament uh, in this language in their village. They're literally living in a village in a hut. They are quintessential missionaries doing the, the work of the gospel in this uh, village. And it's such a blessing to, as a church for us to be able to send them and support them and help them. Amen? And so that's been good. And I was glad that Sean was able to, to bring the word last week within our series in the book of Acts in Acts 16. And he talked to us about the fact that sometimes God says no. Doesn't he? <laughs> sometimes God says no. He said it to Paul and the team on the second missionary journey. They were looking to go south. God said no. They were looking to go north. God said no. And uh, I'll be honest with you. So last Saturday... I'm um, at home, and I'm always nervous when somebody else is speaking. Not because I don't think they're going to do a good job, because some, I'm afraid something's going to happen and they're not going to be able to speak, right? Well, he calls me from California. Man, it's not looking good for us to be there tomorrow. <clears throat> Excuse me? You know? And I said, well, what, he said, if, if we make this flight, it's going to be very late. We may not make it tomorrow morning. Well, I normally study for two, three days. And so it's Saturday at like 5 p.m., or 3 p.m., and I'm like, okay. So I go into study mode. I go into I'm preaching tomorrow mode and uh, start praying and start kind of wrapping my heart and my brain around the text. 
And um, obviously, you know, he was here and he made it fine. But what I wasn't expecting to happen was God to sort of get a hold of my heart in that text. You know, that's what he does when we read his word and we study it with all sincerity of our heart to grow and change. He changes us when we get into his word. So that's, I started getting into his word and praying and seeking the Lord. And, and God started doing something in my heart. And I, I, if it's okay, I want to tell you about it a little bit this morning. Then we're going to get into the text for this week. But um, anyway, I'm just, I'm, I'm so thankful that he was able to share with us. But I began to just kind of ask myself, when are the times in my life and in my ministry that God has said no? I just stopped my study and I sat back and said, God, when are the times, show me the times that, that you've told me no. And pretty quickly, the Lord reminded me of three specific things. One was the season that Lori and I walked through in infertility. We were infertile for nine years. We're still infertile, but the Lord changed that for a season and we had two babies. Uh, but for nine years, we walked in a, a difficult season of infertility, and God said no to us being parents. Very, very difficult. And then there was a season, kind of during that season as well, where I felt like God was calling me to be an artist. And I was trying with all of my heart, I was working as hard as I could to become this music artist, this Christian artist, and, and, and yet I felt like God said no to what I wanted it to look like. And then there was another season after I had kind of laid that down before the Lord and said, okay, it doesn't have to be that. I'm going to pastor, and I'm going to serve people, and I'm going to plant churches. And so I, I came before the church and the leaders and the other elders. I was one of the elders at this church and said, guys, I think I'm supposed to plant a church out of our church. And I'm excited about that, and I've never done that. And it, it scares me to death, but I think this is what God's calling us to do. And they and the Lord said, No. And I just started thinking about those three things specifically, those three no's in my life. And then I thought, wait a minute, it's not just the no's. If you were to ask me what are the three most difficult seasons of your life, guess what I would tell you? Those exact three seasons, those exact three things. And I sat there in my living room, in my dining room, studying, and I realized these things overlapped. And I had never realized that every time God had said no in those three things was also the most painful three seasons of my life. Is it because God is not good? Is it because he wanted to punish me? Is it because he doesn't love me? No. And I just sat in this, and I just, I'm thinking through this, and I'm praying through this, and I'm realizing what's happened here is God said no. And I began to hold on to what I wanted to see happen. And that's what caused the pain. That's what caused the significant wounds in me. I was confident that I would be a good father. And so I would say, God, come, um, I'll be a good daddy. I'll raise my kids. I'll, I'll lead them to you. I know I'll be a good daddy. And in my perspective and in my timing and in my plans, uh, that's what I thought. God, I know I'll be a good artist and I know I'll lead people to you and I'll, I'll worship you. I'll go to the nations, to the ends of the earth, God if it's my perspective and my time and what I want. And he said no to both of those. God, I'll plant this church. If it's not the artist thing, I'll lay that down and let me plant a church, God. And he still said no in my time, in my perspective. But see, my confidence was in me and not in the Lord's timing. My confidence was in my own perspective and not his. 
And that's what caused me so much pain. The pain was because I, I didn't trust God with those plans of his. Now, I trusted him with my plans. See, God, if my plans look like this, the way I see them in my perspective, we're good to go, right? But if they don't look like what I see and what I want to see, oh, wait a minute. God had to lovingly redirect my life. You know, it's kind of like the GPS, recalculating, you know, recalculating. He, he kept saying recalculating. And God in his grace, because he loved me so much, he told me no. He loved me enough to tell me no. Can I just tell you this this morning? When God says no to our will, he's simply saying yes to his. When he says no to your will, it's because he's saying yes to his. You just got to find out what that is. You got to be faithful to that yes, to his will. We have to learn to redirect our lives to follow him and not get bent out of shape when he doesn't want to follow us. But that's what we do. Oh, it's not going to look like what I, oh, wait a minute. The pain of his saying no is because we hold so tightly to our own dreams and our own plans and our own desires. Some of y'all won't remember this old band, 38 Special. Got any 38 Special fans out there? You remember Hold On Loosely? I'm tempted to sing it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not doing it, Kevin. But uh, they had this song called Hold On Loosely. And I think about it all the time because that's what we need to do. We, we get our grip on something. We get this death grip on our vision and our perspective and what we want and what we think God ought to do for us. When really we ought to hold on loose, we ought to let, let go. Listen, can I just say, if you feel in your life, you feel like you have a clear direction that God has said, I want you to do this thing. He's placed a dream in your heart. He's done something in you that you want to do. Praise God. Don't hear me saying that's not a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. And God has placed those dreams in your heart. And you know what? You ought to follow them. With all you are, you ought to follow those dreams. However... Hold on so loosely to those dreams. If God recalculates, if God moves, if God changes plans and redirects, you won't be shaken. You won't be devastated as I have in those three different areas of my life. At some point, God may say no, and it may look differently than you thought. Let that be okay because God's plans for you are better than your plans for you. Was Paul in God's will? Yeah. Jesus said, go, right? Make disciples. And that's what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing. They were on their way, being obedient to Jesus. And Paul had a plan to go south into Asia, Ephesus, and some of that area. God said, nope. We'll go north. Nope. Paul was in God's will, and yet God still said, no. You can, you can be in God's will. You can be obedient to God and him still redirect your heart and your life to place you exactly where he wants you to be. I've got some friends who, in ministry, um, in churches or in other places, in weather dreams or whatever the case may be, God has told them no. And I've watched some of these guys literally just crumble under the pain of no breaks my heart. I've seen some of these men and women 
crumble under the weight of God saying no to their way, to their perspective. But every time God says no to our will, he's saying yes to his. Are we looking for his? Or do we just say, if it's not mine, I'm out? Because that's what many of these friends of mine have said. And I just ask you this question, what do you love more? Do you love your vision, your perspective, your plan, or do you love Jesus? Because it probably will look different than what you have in your own mind. Can I remind you of something? God said no to Jesus. Did you know that? God said no to Jesus. Luke twenty-two forty-two says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And then he cries out with all this passion in his heart. In Luke uh, 22, 44, he offered up loud cries and tears along with his prayers and supplications. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was crying out to the Father, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass. And God said, no. My will is for you to drink this cup. My will is for you to take this assignment. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God heard Jesus' prayer. He gives us a definitive word that God heard his prayer and said no. We may not see the reason why God redirects us, but we can trust that he's the one who sees up ahead, you know? Our GPS says recalculating, and we go, oh, no. Now we can see if there's red lines. Well, maybe there's traffic up ahead. We, we can't see that in our lives, but God can. God can see, hey, you don't want to get caught in that mess of life up ahead of you, so let's redirect. You don't want to get caught in the junk that's, that's up here. Let's redirect, and we got to trust his direction. I, I love C.S. Lewis. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. I mean, he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on, and you knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts tremendously. It does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Yeah, God. Our perspective is small. Our vision is small. And yet we just say, God, that's all I want. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. I got so much more than you could ever ask or think or imagine. Anyway, you get two sermons for the price of one this morning. I uh, got to just lay this on my heart. And um, I pray that, that maybe somebody um, was with me in some of that. Uh, shared some of that, those feelings and, and could learn from that. Let's look in our word this morning, our text for today, if we can. Acts 16. And we're going to go from verse 9 through 15, just to give us a little context, okay? Acts 16, 9 through 15. And a vision appeared 
to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together, the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, so this is just a little context here. God had said no to going south, no to going north. And so Paul and them are just kind of continuing to go west, just moving along. And then Paul gets this vision. <clears throat> he gets this vision from God. Now, I don't know how much time has elapsed between the no from south and the no from the north and going west, but there had to be some amount of time. I don't know if it's a few hours or a few days, but don't you know at some point, not knowing whether they're supposed to, where they're supposed to go, Paul's kind of going, oh, really? Have you ever been there? That's a, it's a difficult place to be when you feel like the Lord just keeps closing doors and you're like, where am I supposed to go? Listen, if you find yourself in this sort of a season, I, I, I want to encourage you to go back to the last assignment that God has given you. If you keep trying to go forward because you feel like you're supposed to go forward and God keeps closing doors, go back to the last assignment he's given you. And be faithful and obedient in that. I know so many people in ministry, so many people in, in jobs at different places, and they go, I'm struggling in this place, but I don't feel like God has released me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I, I just don't feel like God's released me. Well, then stay faithful to the thing that God called you to do last. It doesn't mean we don't dream. It doesn't mean we don't hope. But we do stay faithful to the assignment God has given us until he gives us a vision for something else. And that's what he does with Paul. He gives this vision. I don't know how long it was between the nose and then the vision, but there was probably a season Paul was struggling. But then God gives a vision of this man from Macedonia. In the vision, the guy says he needs help in Macedonia. Paul's reminded that he's, number one, he's, he, he's not alone. He's with a team and that God does have a plan. It's not south just yet and it's not north. It's to go west. And he has a team. This is the first thing on your card this morning I want to bring your attention to is the team. Paul had an amazing team, right? This is Paul, Silas, Timothy. And it's a great team. And can I just add a little moment here and just tell you how proud I am of the team that God has given us? What a joy to serve with the team that I have here. Brother Jerry, Daryl, Elvis, Delis, uh, Don, um, Heidi, Laura, all of our small group leaders, 15 of them around the city, praise God for you. We have an awesome team. I'm so thankful for our team. Paul had a good team as well. But I want to just look at a few things about the team. First thing is, they've been sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
Can you, I can't ask for more. That's what I want of our team. Lord, just help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit to move us where you want us to go, wherever that is. Say no, God, if it means you say yes in some other direction. Give us the obedience to, to follow and to listen. But the team is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think that's wonderful. The next thing is we see that they trust Paul's vision. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They took Paul's vision as, now this is our vision, right? God gave it to Paul, but now we're all going to live it out. We're all going to go in this direction. And do you notice something different in this verse? Do you notice the, the, the uh, narrative change in this verse? All 16 chapters of Acts have been written in a third person. Luke's writing and telling the story of the church. And now, right now in this verse, it changes to first person which is so cool because it means Luke is in the story. It means Luke is now part of the team with Paul, with Timothy, with Silas. Luke is right there, and he's writing from a first-person perspective. I think that's the coolest thing. Here's the next thing. Obedience doesn't need all the details. It doesn't wait for the details. Do you notice this? They, they get this vision to go to Macedonia, and they, bam, they go. This is where we're going. They didn't say, well, when exactly, where exactly, who exactly. No, we're just going. God has given us uh, direction to Macedonia. That's where we're headed. Let's go to a major city in Macedonia. And they go. It reminds me of, of what God said to Abram. Go to the mountain, I will show you, right? Abram, Abram didn't say, well, where exactly, who, when. It reminds me of the disciples when Jesus said, come and follow me. And the Bible says that they dropped their nets immediately and followed Jesus. There was no, hey, what's the 401k sitch here, right? Is there room for improvement? Is there room for growth in the organization? Where are we going to be staying? What's this look like? No. It was, yes, God. What a privilege to say yes to you. I don't need to know the details. Obedience doesn't wait for details. It just obeys. But what's interesting is Luke says that together they conclude that the help that was needed in Macedonia, it wasn't because of a flood, it wasn't necessarily because of hunger, it wasn't some other sort of need, and you know that Macedonia had those needs. No, but the team realizes the greatest need in Macedonia is for the gospel of Jesus. That's the greatest need in Macedonia. And so it says we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Can I just tell you, listen, the greatest need in Little Rock, Arkansas is the gospel of Jesus. The greatest need in your neighborhood is the gospel of Jesus. The greatest need in your family, the greatest need in your workplace, the greatest need we all have is the gospel of Jesus in our lives. It's the greatest need we have. And it's the greatest gift we can give. Acts 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace in the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now I want to give us just a sense geographically of what we've been talking about. Can I do that? Can we look at that map, guys, really quickly? I don't know if you can see this. Yeah, 
On the right-hand side, you see Antioch in Syria. This is where the journey began. And then the journey goes up and over that little inlet right there to Paul's hometown of Tarsus. And then they go from Tarsus to Derby and to Lystra. And Lystra is where they pick up Timothy, right? And then they do what Paul's called to do, which is to strengthen the brothers and to strengthen the church and to deepen discipleship of the people that had come to know Jesus on the first missionary journey. And so they go over to Antioch and Pisidia. And they're strengthening the church. And it's from there that they kind of go, do we go south? Do we go north? God says no and no, and then they just kind of keep eking west. They don't get to go into Messiah, end up in Troas. And then from Troas to Samothrace, Samothrace, Neapolis, Neapolis to Philippi. Do you see that? So I want to get you a, a sense of what's going on here. So that's a long trip. <laughs> it's a long way. On the Sabbath, we, we talked about this before, what does the Pauline cycle typically say about what happens on the Sabbath, right? Paul and the guys, they, they typically go to a synagogue. Well, clearly in Philippi, there is no synagogue because on the Sabbath, they don't go to the synagogue. Instead, they find a place of prayer. It's outside the city, outside the gate, out by the river, and they find a bunch of women, now, which might give us a hint to why there's no synagogue. Jewish law is that there has to be 10 men to constitute a synagogue, 10 Jewish men that would allow to be a, a, a synagogue to be constituted. And what we see is a bunch of women praying. Jewish or following Jewish ways, we're not sure. But they're out there, they're praying. And so Paul and the team sit down and wait on their turn to, to speak. And Luke tells us there's one woman who actually hears what's being said. Her name is Lydia. She's the one on your card. We have the team, and they've come all this way, and now Luke is highlighting the one, and her name is Lydia. Now, Lydia's from this place called Thyatira. It's crossed back across the Aegean Sea, and it's just above uh, Ephesus in Asia. And this city is known for dyes. It's known for colors. It's known for beautiful um, textiles. But her specialty is purple. And the thing about purple is it's, uh, it's connected to royalty and wealth. So what that tells us about Lydia is that she's a wealthy woman. Not just that, but we also know Lydia's going to invite the team to come stay at her home. So she's got to have a pretty big home to be able to do that. Not only that, she's going to get saved and baptized and her whole household with her, which means she probably has servants. And then a little bit later in verse 40, we're going to see that Lydia hosts the church in her home. It's a pretty big home. She's doing pretty good with this purple thing. The Bible says she's a, a worshiper of God. She's a God-fearer. And you know, what's interesting, it's the exact same kind of description given to Cornelius in Acts 10. Remember that? He was a God-fearing man. He, he wasn't a Jew, but he was interested in the God of the Jews. He was interested in the life of the Jews but he wasn't a Jew himself. The same with Lydia. She was praying. She was around women of prayer. She was interested in this Jewish lifestyle, but she wasn't a Jew herself. And the Bible says that God opens her heart. Look here, Acts 16, 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here's the thing I want you to see in this. 
even though she's a worshiper of God, even though she fears God, even though she prays to God, she doesn't know him. You see that? You see that we can have a religious system? We can have a religious framework? We can be religious people. We can come to church all our lives and never know Jesus. It's possible. God has to open our hearts. This is what he did for Lydia. The Bible says that he opened her heart to hear the truth of what Paul was saying. John 6, says, only the Father draws someone to himself. So it didn't matter if it was Paul's message or Billy Graham's message or, or anybody else, Andy Stanley. It doesn't matter, me, because we have nothing to say apart from the gospel of Jesus, apart from the word of God. And it takes the Father to open the heart so that you can understand and you can hear. And what this means, listen, what this means is today, listen carefully, if you hear something today in this message that draws your heart to God, it makes you think of something of him, it makes you think of some sin in your life you need to change, it draws you to more obedience, it draws you to want to serve him, to love him, to give, whatever the case may be, realize it's not from me. My words don't do that. Nobody's, nobody's words do that. Only God can draw your heart to himself. And so if you feel your heart being drawn to God, recognize it's God doing the drawing. She hears the truth and she gets baptized. And it says that her whole house is baptized. And I, I want to clarify something. It's not just that the whole house says, hey, I'm gonna, let's just jump in the water too while you're in there. No. Very clearly, we have very clear requirements for salvation and baptism throughout Acts, throughout the gospel right? It's faith in Jesus. It's repentance. It's saying, I want to live a life following him. And so, understandably, this is not just, we're going to jump in with you. No, each individual member of this family, whether it be servants, extended family, children, whoever, they all had to come to faith in Jesus to be baptized. Now, listen, what's interesting is it's the same thing that happened in Cornelius's life. He gets saved and his whole family gets saved and he gets baptized. And it's the same thing that's about to happen to the Philippian jailer. He gets saved and his whole family comes to Jesus and is baptized. Here's the point I want to make about that. When God gets a hold of your heart, listen, when God gets a hold of your heart, it can be a catalyst for the rest of your family. Do you see that? When God changes your heart, he could change the hearts of all of your family, of all of your friends. Some of us sit in this room and we go, you don't know my family, right? None of these people knew Jesus. None of these family members knew the Lord. But there was a, it became a catalyst. The faith in Jesus that this woman had became a catalyst for her family. Cornelius became a catalyst for his family. The Philippian jailer catalyst and we can be that as well the text says she urged just saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us i love that last phrase she prevailed upon us sounds to me i may be wrong but sounds to me like a good southern woman <laughs> a good strong southern woman here's the deal when you go into a good strong southern woman's house she's gonna ask you if you want some tea right or water or coffee just take it from the beginning, take it, or for the next hour, she's going to be saying, are you sure you don't want me to make you something to eat? 
Can I not get you some coffee? Are you sure you don't need a, whatever the case may be, just take the tea, you know what I'm saying, from the beginning. Well, it turns out Lydia's a good uh, Southern Asian woman, right? And she's strong. And you can see this about her. Look, if you can't read this text and not see that she's a strong woman. Look here. She ran her own business. She was an entrepreneur. She's wealthy. She had servants. She's used to being in charge. She's a leader. She's an early adopter. When God opened her heart, she said, I want to follow Jesus. I'll be the one. She becomes the first convert on European soil. She's a leader. And God continues to use her strength for his glory. She prevailed upon us, Luke says. I love that. She's a strong woman. She prevailed upon us. We had a, a wrestling match about whether or not we should do this, and she prevailed, right? God's going to continue to use her. She, her house becomes, a, like I said, a place for meeting for the church. And Paul, interestingly, and what I love about this, and let me challenge you to do this, go read the book of Philippians. Because he's writing to Lydia and these folks right here in Philippi. But in Philippians, Paul says, on that first journey to Philippi, so, so many of you gave to my ministry that no other church did. He's talking about Lydia. He's talking about how she helped supply, she helped resource this gospel mission. She was a leader. God used her tremendously. Two weeks ago, we talked about leading women in the church, right? We talked about Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And today we're talking about Lydia. God has used amazing, strong, leading women in his mission, and he continues to today. And I'm so thankful for the ones in our church. I look around and see so many of you. I'm so thankful for you women that are leading so beautifully. I want to just wrap up this morning by bringing your attention to three people in Philippi. Now, I believe there was more people than three that got to know Jesus on this missionary journey. But for whatever reason, Luke only highlights three people in Philippi. He highlights a wealthy Asian entrepreneur who becomes a leader and a contributor to the early church, Lydia. And then he highlights, we're going to get to it next week, a poor Greek slave girl possessed by a demon who is freed by God. And then he's going to highlight a Roman jailer who's pretty indifferent to Jesus. Here's what's interesting about this, friends. Listen. In this room today, there's all kinds of people. I mean, could those three people be any different? Rich woman, poor slave girl, Roman, all from three different places. Right? In this room, listen, we've got white, black, Asian, Latino. We've got rich, we've got poor. We've got Republican, we've got Democrat. We got all kinds of different people, and it's beautiful. But here's the one thing you need to know. We have one Jesus who meets us all at the point of need. And it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like or what you've done or who you've been or where you've been. Because Jesus alone meets every need of your life. He alone. And I think that's what Luke was doing. I think Luke was highlighting these very different people and saying, look what God can do. In all the differences of these people, there's only one God. And Jesus saved them all. Friends, some of you may be sitting here this morning, you might say, no, my need, if I, if I were to show up to Paul's dream, I would say, Paul, I need some money. We need some money in my home. We need a better job. We need better resources. Can I just challenge that and say, no, you need Jesus. 
Because it's not that Jesus gives money, it's that Jesus gives himself to us. And even Paul himself said, whether I've had much or little, nothing, you've, you've helped me to learn to be content. You don't need more money, you need more Jesus. Some of you say, well, listen, really, well, the area of help that I need is in my marriage. That's where I need help. No. You need more Jesus. Individually, both of you need more Jesus to honor him, to love him, to serve him. Whatever it is that is your need this morning, whatever it is, whatever's going on in your heart, whatever's going on in your life, you'd say, that's my need. Can I just tell you? No, it's Jesus that you need. He will meet every need of your life if you'll just surrender to him. Can I just ask you this morning, listen, don't miss the beauty of salvation that we see in these texts and these stories. They come to Philippi and they meet Lydia and Lydia, God opens her heart and she says, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll serve, I'll be used of you, God, use my home, use my finances, I'll, I wanna follow you, I wanna know you, I wanna love you, I wanna serve you. And he's gonna continue to do that in different people's lives. Is he doing that in your life this morning? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Friend, if, if you're sitting here right now this morning, you're going, your heart's beating fast, and you're going, I'm not sure. I don't know. Find out. Find out. Come speak with me. Let me pray with you. Or pray with someone near you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be me. If God is doing something in your heart, maybe, maybe you're in this place between no, and you're going, God, help me to, to get off of my perspective and onto your perspective. And to trust that a no to my will is a yes to yours. And help me see what your will is. Or maybe you're like Lydia this morning and you, you're the only one in your family who wants to follow Jesus. Or the only one in your apartment complex that's willing to follow Jesus. Can I just say, do it. Be strong. Stand up. Lead. Let Jesus change your life, your heart, your family, and the world. You can do it, not alone, through his power, through his strength, through a family of families. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you that even when you say no, you, you still make a way. God, would you give us the ability to, to seek your yes, to seek your will above our perspective, above our understanding, above our opinion of what should be, and just surrender, God, to your will. And Father, we don't see any drama from, from Paul and the team. We just see them obey. God, would you help us to obey? Would you help us not to worry about details, just to move forward in obedience, God? Lord, would you help us to be a witness as we see Paul and his team. Speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the hope that we have in Jesus alone. Gotta think about the song we sang earlier that says, sinners rescued. And gotta just weep over that phrase because I know there are sinners in this room today. I'm one of them whom you've rescued. Lord, there may be someone here in the sound of my voice that's lost in sin. They're lost in trying to chase their own way, their own dream. And they need to surrender and say, yes, 
God, would you rescue them today by your grace and by your mercy. Spirit of the living God, move in their hearts. Draw them, help them to see, help them to hear the truth of your word and come to you in obedience. God, would you do that today? And Lord, would you help us to be a catalyst for our family? That ought to be the first place we go when you change our hearts, God, is to our families, to our work, to our neighborhoods. Look what Jesus has done in me. He's rescuing sinners. He's rescued me. Spirit of the living God, would you move in this place? Would you fill us with your presence? Would you give us courage like Lydia to stand up and obey? Give us courage, God, to lead, to be a blessing to the body, to be on mission, to be who you're calling us to be. We pray it in Jesus' precious name.